pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. If we're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water, leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice on <laughs> it. I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Angreement after our brief winter holiday hiatus. And it's welcome. a new year. We new have year. new energy, maybe. So while... Is it too early, Michelle, to be like, bring on 2022? No, I I literally have some friends that have been like, well, only 362 (laughs) more days to go, right? Like, I I mean, I, but I think if anything, what we have learned is that it is not the year on the calendar. It is how we behave as human beings. So. Oh, no. (laughs) So this is never over. (laughs) So, okay. So, but I have you. Hi, it's good to see you again. And how we're going to behave is continuing to bring you our agreement with. Hooray. Which is in which Michelle and I, Catherine, bring to the table each one weird thing, one, one pop culture thing, and one research thing, all without telling each other what it is first. And then we have to bring them together. Make it make sense because we can do that at least here in our podcast in this, in this little bubble, and that's what we're gonna do. So, without further ado, we are ready to get started. So, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so my weird thing is, um, is I was having a hard time with this week's weird thing because this week we record. <laughs> this was a weird week. We're recording this a week before it's going to drop and we'll just leave that open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think back to a week ago from when you were hearing this, it was a weird day and a, a weird, just lots of different emotions in the air. And so it was just really hard to pick a weird thing because they all like it, it felt, and I knew that this would be the first part that we were talking about and it just felt like it was going to set a tone and I felt like it just it I put a lot of responsibility on this weird thing I will say that and okay I feel like okay. I've so I actually the weird thing that I've decided on wasn't really big enough on its own so I found it's like I'm I'm doing a little pre-connecting for practice for at the end here so I have two little weird things <gasps> that I'm going to connect together are you doing a pre-connection Michelle I'm doing a pre-connection okay okay so Keep, you remember your pre-connection I, I'm, I was worried I'm going to get in trouble this week. So oh, are you, are you doing a pre-connection too? May or may not. <laughs> it's this podcast is changing the whole way we look at the world. All right. Yeah. So my first little weird thing is my husband and I are playing pandemic legacy season two, um, which is so a legacy game 
for those of you who don't know, I know you know, but um, <laughs> is where you play the game, but it changes as you play it. So it's not going to be the same for anybody who plays it. Like you, you rip up cards, you put stickers on the board, like the, the whole thing changes as you go. And I can't say too much about it because spoilers in the legacy game community will get you hunted down and I don't want anybody coming after me. So I'll come um, after you. I have Pandemic Legacy ready to play. I we, will not. So I don't know when I'm going to play it yet, but it's ready. So the thing I'm about to say is not a spoiler because you know it as soon as you open the box. Okay. So you are a character and your character can get scars based on things that happen in the game. So um, I play with my husband. It's just me and him because we are, you know, still staying away from social distancing because Good job. despite the fact that everybody's acting like this pandemic is over, it's the worst it's ever been. And those are just facts. Um, thank you. Thank you for those reminder facts, Michelle. I appreciate it because I feel crazy all the time. I feel crazy every single day. Like I have literally been like, I must be wrong. And then I go, and look <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're still playing by ourselves and we, um, it's, it's just adorable to me because, you know, there's all these different things that you're trying to do, right? But if there is ever a situation where I might get a scar, he just drops everything that he was on his plan and immediately without ask like, without like, you know, me having to be like, oh, I'm about to get a scar. Or like, he's just immediately like, I've got to figure out how to fix it. Like every time. And it just like... I love that so much. It was just such a sweet moment of feeling loved and being like, oh, he's not going to let me get a scar no matter what. Like, no matter what is happening in this, he'll lose this whole round, but he will not let my character get a scar. And so I just, like, that was, that was one little weird That just feels so important. And it's one of those little things that feels so big. You will not, and and more and more relatable to the real world. I think if you had found that out in your marriage two years ago, it'd be like, well, that's nice. And now it's, it's like, cute. it's the, <laughs> this game is called Pandemic. And I don't have any scars, thanks to my husband. Oh, God. His love language is Pandemic scars. <laughs> so that's the first half of my weird thing. And my second weird thing is, it's a pretty somber weird thing. I was scrolling today and I saw the New Jersey representative cleaning up the debris at the U.S. Capitol after the, this headline says riot, but I'm going to call it what it was, attempted coup. And so um, this, his name is Andy Kim and he is um, a representative from New Jersey and he's there among, which I also saw an article pointing out how many men of color were cleaning up the Capitol, which, you know, this was a attack of. I don't know how you I'm gonna let you talk because I don't want to step on your feet because this is something I'm also we talked about this before but I've been researching the hell out of Andy Kim third district of New Jersey yay New Jersey so they they also uh, so here he is among a bunch of you know janitorial staff and they're they're cleaning this up um and it was just a really touching image and they did an interview with him and they were asking him, you know, like, why are you doing this? What motivated you? Cause he's the only, you know, person from either the house or the Senate out there doing this. And he just responded with what else could I do? What else and could I do? Oh, that stuck it, with me so much. Yes, yes, yes. And 
And so I just, and it made me think, so my little mini connection is, you know, like my husband sees like, oh, she's in trouble. I'm going to go. Uh, what, what else can, can I-, I do? Oh, oh, yes. What else can I do? I just wrote a whole essay on absurdism that had my co-author being like, are you okay? Which it was like, <laughs> can't get out of bed, but I do somehow. Cause what else can you do? And I used what else can you do in a really kind of negative, like I'm depressed way. Like, this is the only option that I yeah. have. Like I just quoted the, all the lyrics to the bear went over the mountain in an academic essay. Cause I'm like, this is the song for our time. This is the only thing that gets me through the bear went over the mountain just to see what he can see. And all they can see is the other side of the mountain. That's it. What else are you going to do? And then I heard Andy Kim use it in such an uplifting, hopeful way. What else are you going to do? As if that sentence that I've been using to drag myself down and through my day, he used to elevate everything. And it was amazing. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So my weird thing is, I guess then we could sum it up together. We've arrived at the weird thing being the multifaceted delivery of what else could I do? What is, else could I do? Is my weird thing. And this um, this kind of idea of taking small care in a moment of crisis and um, being able, I mean, I think it's a real skill to be able to see, say like, here is action that can be taken in the midst of a lot of people not taking any action, right? A lot yes. of people yes. uh, shirking their responsibilities because it seems too big. And saying yeah. like, this is too much for me to handle. And here's somebody saying like, you know what? It's too much for anybody to handle, but I'm going to go do what I can. And I think that it's just, um, I mean, it's, it's just really something that we should aspire to right now is to do the thing that we can do. What, what else can we do? Yeah, that reminds me, um, there's a cartoonist named Chanel Miller who is wonderful and everyone should follow her on Instagram. But she had a comic um, a while ago on Instagram that was just about, she went on a hike and she lives in California and she just remembered that everything was so dry. It had been during the fires and she went up a hill and watched a man pull out all these um, small bowls on top of a hill and a bottle of water. And he filled up all the bowls of water and she's like, well, what is he doing? And um, all these crows came and started drinking the water and playing in it. And she's like, I've never seen crows act like this. They were acting so happy and like careless and not careless, but carefree. And they were just having fun and they needed this water. But it was also this moment where the crows were just like living their best life and so happy. And she said he filled it up once more, put everything back and went home. And she kept thinking about that and said that like, even if that person went home and laid on the couch and did nothing and thought that their whole day was wasted, that um, the crows would argue otherwise. And so she's now trying to live her life with like the crows would argue otherwise. What have I done today? That even if I think it's totally worthless and unproductive, is there that version of it where this group, these people, this thing in the world would say otherwise? Okay. I feel really emotionally vulnerable now. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm sorry. My my weird thing um, just started by laying a spare, but I feel like it's appropriate for the I'm like, can like- that just be my weird thing too? Because um I copped out. I like I copped out so hard, Michelle. Um for pop culture, there's a tweet concerning the like in, the insurrection and attempted coup that I'm gonna read. But um so I'll see I'll see if you can find my pre-connection of a theme. So I copped out and wasn't going to like address the state of affairs from last week. But um, so there is a theme. So I'm sticking to a theme, even though my theme is copping out and hiding from the world. My first, my weird thing, my first weird thing, my weird thing this week is that, um, and I realize that this is kind of trendy. I realize this is stupid, but it makes me happy. And um so it is what it is. And you can judge me as being a um, dual income, no children, middle-aged white woman, because it reeks of that. So I have started collecting tarot cards. Last year, my brother got me a set of tarot cards, um, which were Miss Cleo tarot cards that he found somewhere, which made me really happy. And so I then requested for my family this year, just weird tarot cards like that right not like ones you would think of but out of the box ones um because there's a lot of personality in the miss clear tarot cards so boy did my family deliver and so um i got many interesting ones but the weirdest ones i got are the art history because i'm an art historian they know me art history tarot for past lives oh so they're not even really tarot cards it's because these images across time and space are deeply resonant and will help you, Michelle, unearth your past lives. You know, I kind of am having a hard enough time dealing with one life. So the appeal yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might say that, um, which is why I'm going to force you. I'm not going to do a full reading with you because oh, that's too much. That's too much to go through all of them. But I am going to force you (laughs) over Zoom. We're Zoom recording this. You know, the energy, we can get there. Um, I am going to have you kind of focus on the cards. I'll show them to you. Okay, okay. And tell me when you want me to, like, cut the deck. Just think about the energy. Can you hold hold them up a little more? Tell me when you want me to cut the... Or when tell me when you want me to stop cutting the deck. There. Okay. Very good. Makes for very good podcasting. Um, <laughs> this, it also came in a very fancy velvet bag. Okay. So we are going to pull what this card is, is your core past lives card. So this is like your first past life. My first, my most recent? Oh, or like, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, your first ever. Your first ever past life. Your reaction already checks for me. I assume it seems accurate. <laughs> I got like a really great one. I did it with my husband. He was like some some awesome primordial goddess. Um, and Michelle, I'm going to say, let's find it in my book. Huge book. Really helpful, big, big book. Um, and so usually your first, your core card tells you all about your main past life. And um, okay, let's find where this is. So it tells us, Basically, it's the core and um, where and when and how, what really just roots everything about how you live your life now. Oh, okay. Like the core of who you are across time and space. 
Um, and so your card is starvation. Oh. oh, I look so sad. Yeah, you look really sad. For those of you who can't see, which is everyone except Michelle right now, um, the art image she got is dying from starvation and torture at Belson Concentration Camp. Why is this an image in this card pack? Um, it's by Eric W. Taylor. These are all art historically important images from 1945. Starvation. So that's your core card. So I guess in your first, this is, I also want to just note that this deck is really funny, usually, um, and amusing, but then it gets really problematic. Claiming past lives is always like appropriative and problematic in some ways. Um, so when the starvation card appears, it indicates a past life marked with a period of starvation, up, these are very literal too. It's not like you were like metaphorically like, starving. Like hungry for love. I was no. like starving no. for you food. died. You did not have enough food. Um, if you suffered food shortage in a previous life, it's likely to influence your relationship with food now. A wide range of manifestations might present themselves. Um, and that can indicate the hauntings of starvation in a past life. And it's about, yeah, starvation um, and your first past life was in the early 20th century in Germany. Oh. So you don't go back very far. No, I'm a, You're new, a new soul. new soul. I don't believe that for a second. Um, if I didn't believe in past life before, I'm like, nah, Michelle's been, Michelle's been on this, this, this ride a few times, I think. <laughs> If I had to say. You don't get this cynical this fast. <laughs> no. You you didn't pop up a hundred years ago, die, and this is your second time. Just die of starvation. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That's my weird thing. That was um appropriately weird. I feel like you yeah. you fulfilled the category's needs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, we've been weird. Now, let's be pop culture-y. So my pop culture thing was like, I had it before we went on the break and I was like, oh, but it doesn't matter because I'm so far behind on this thing that it doesn't need to be timely. But then it became timely. So I feel like it was all just supposed to happen this way. So I reached the point where I could not process any more television that was good (laughs) (laughs) oh oh I know that spot I I had a bunch of work that I had to do that was not intellectually stimulating but that required a lot of time so like I had to sit down and like enter in like you know dad like I just needed something on that I could watch and do this work and um, so I found just randomly on Hulu, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And I ended up binge watching like all of it in three days. And it the whole time I was watching it, I was like, this show is so ridiculous. So for those of you who don't know, um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is about a young woman who is navigating a love triangle and um, like 
trying to get promoted and work through her job as a coder in and also her father is dying of I'm not sure which actually I will know in a moment because I need to look at the article that my my pop culture thing is about um a rare neurological disease called progressive supranuclear palsy that his um basically he can't he can't move and he can't talk and so he's kind of uh, like like a locked in syndrome kind of thing right which and becomes so, very important which is very important the whole story <laughs> because the premise of this show is that she experiences the world through other people singing what she calls heart songs to her which are like i mean it's it's a musical but it's like, you know, popular songs. So like if, if this guy is secretly in love with her, he'll be singing this like love song to her. With, so she sees this happening in the real world, but the rest of the people around her do not see it happening. And so it's like these, these musical numbers are taken. It's, it's, you know, like in a musical, everybody will break into song and coordinated dance. So that's happening, but it's only happening in her mind. Except it for doesn't her. really say what I will say what you will about the show, which I will in a second. But um, it is a it is a cool and fun take on that, right? Like musicals are weird. Everyone starts singing. They make a lot of funny jokes at the expense of that. And like, I don't know what made me start watching it because I had seen it before on Hulu and had read the like synopsis, and I was like, I'm never watching that. Like that sounds stupid. Um, and. <laughs> nothing had changed about me I think I just was like I have to watch something fine like play and um I just I found myself really enjoying it like just I cannot say that it is a good show in the like critical sense right like I can't say that the actors are fine it um the dialogue strained in places it does have good production value it does yeah it, and it's like you said, the acting is good. It's very well cast. The acting, Got yes. Mary Steenberger yes. in there. Um, but I was like, what is making this work? So, so my pop culture thing is actually that I found out that the person who created it based it on their own father dying from PSP. And so the whole idea behind it was like, what if my father is seeing the world in these big musical numbers since we can't communicate with him we can't know what he's thinking let me see if i can find the quote really quick um it started that makes fact, so much sense because yeah. that felt very real and touching everything with the dad is super like yeah which i mean if it wasn't it would the whole thing would just fall all the way apart so it started from the fact that my father passed away several years ago from PSP, the degenerative neurological disease. In a year, my dad went from being this super dynamic, vibrant, outgoing guy to pretty close to a vegetable. He couldn't move. He could only kind of move his right hand. He was losing weight rapidly. He couldn't speak anymore. For the last six months that my dad was alive, we really didn't know how much he was processing, if he was processing what was really going on in his brain. So as I was losing my dad while becoming a dad, the writer says, um, he started thinking what's going on in my dad's head while he's sick. And that was the, what, what if my dad saw the world when he was dying through big musical numbers? And that was the inspiration that eventually became this show. And it just made me, I'm like, that's what's making this work because this, this plot is ridiculous. And the premise is crazy and it should not work. And again, I'm not going to like, this is not some fantastic show. I'm not like, oh my gosh, they did this amazing. But it it works in a way that I would not expect it to. And I think it's because it it's 
sincere, right? It has this actual pain and working through their own trauma. And I, it just, so my pop culture thing is that I'm kind of really impressed with how that emotion comes through in this in a way that makes what probably should have been something that failed for me. It's a lot better than it should be for what it is. That's very true. I watched the whole first season and I'm actually going to start watching the second season now that it's on. So I'm sitting here going, oh, it's not good. But I've watched all of it and I'm going to continue watching it. So in the TV world, that's good enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's good enough. That's the point. I'm Um, also watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette, though. So take all of my opinions with a grain of salt. I am not watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So this is above that. I got stuck on that train last year. Mm -hmm. And then I put my husband on that train and... He's never going to forgive me, but he's stuck on it. You I read a very good article. You didn't in keep the- him from getting scars, Catherine. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. My love language is not saving you from scars. My love language is forcing you to watch bad TV sitting next to me. They call that I love language. Time. I did take that quiz once, and it is quality time. There you go. Mine is like 100% acts of service. Like you don't give me a gift. Don't say nice things to me. Just do the things that I need. So I don't have to think about them. That's it. That's all I want. Nice. (laughs) Nice. I'm bad with like words of affirmation and gifts. Those are not neither taking nor giving. They're just kind of like awkward for me. Gotcha. Plus, I really, I, I, I did like when you finished it and texted me about it. You were like, what's wrong with me? I got too emotional. <laughs> oh, no, I bawled my eyes out. I'll go, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I am not sure what's wrong with me, but I am not ashamed here in this year. I mean, this was at 2020 at the time, but still going through it all. Um, there's a scene where some characters are fighting. And another character that's close to them overhears them fighting and she forces them to go dance it out. And like, I mean, it's, I don't think it's supposed to be an emotional scene. Like I think it's supposed to be a pretty funny, lighthearted scene. And I sobbed, like I didn't like get a little teary eyed. Like I just full on sobbed watching it. I know what you mean. My family has a name for that. We call it Dumboing. Because when I was little, I would force babysitters to let me watch Dumbo and the scene where she rocks Dumbo's mom rocks Dumbo through jail. I would just do that just from nowhere. It would go from zero to 60. I'd be fine. And then full balling, unstoppable. Like the big tears, like you you get all like your face is wet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Dumboing. And um, as and and they knew I would do it, and yet I asked every babysitter, "Can we watch Dumbo?" And they had to be like, "Don't let her watch Dumbo, no matter what you do." Because I liked it. I liked feeling <laughs> melancholic. I was a sad, melancholic child. Um, and I just realized I had something make me Dumbo last week, just like that, totally unexpected, just because it was so nice. And that should have been my pop culture this week. And I'm an idiot. I forgot it. I got so hung up with my pre-connections. Well, uh, I'm going to save it for next week. I was going to say, you done. haven't said your, your pop culture yet. So you could switch I was, if you wanted to. I was going to switch, but I have a theme. Oh, I'm, right. I'm not going to mess up your theme. Sticking to my stupid, stupid, stupid theme. It's the only thing that's making up for um, how I think my things are really bad this week. Because I'm just like, I don't know what. Like, what are we supposed to do, right? Yeah, what are we supposed to do? So I had a theme. I was trying to be fun and festive for our return. 2021 themes. Um, But next week, so stay tuned for 
What makes Two Catherine Dumbo? Now. Next episode, I'll explain what made me Dumbo. Okay. Okay. So my pop culture, I do want to just address this week. This isn't my official pop culture thing, but I did like this tw- um, this tweet from, also the, the username's tweet is B-twice-A. I think you have to read it to get it. It's it's too blurry. It's too blurry. It's not going to work. You know, B, Beyonce would be B-once-A. B-twice-A. B-twice-A. So I'm just going to read this tweet and we can move on from it. This isn't my pop culture thing, but uh, I appreciated it. They said, why, why y'all keep asking where the police are? Do you ask where Miley's at when Hannah's on stage? I saw that one. Just going to leave that there. Okay. So my second thing, my second thing, my pop culture thing is I got this um, a while ago. Last Thanksgiving, not not this one, but like 2019 Thanksgiving, my in-laws came to where we live in Colorado to visit us and they bought these little cards with questions on them. And while we cooked, we did those and they were fun. And I went to look for them and I could not find them, but I found a different version. And apparently these are Emmy award winning cards. And like, how does it win an Emmy? I'm going to shake them because I'm showing them to Michelle here. That's the listening experience. It really is a thing. She's not lying about it. It's something called the skin deep. And it's a whole thing. Apparently this is an Emmy award winning web series where they would like have this special um, process where they'd force people to stare into each other's eyes for a minute. And then they would do this again. Is this your theme that you make me do things? Oh, that's like an inadvertent theme. No, you'll get it on the last one. That's a good first guess, but I'm going to make you do something. I'm kind of nervous about this because I have to do it too. Um, And so you have to stare into their eyes. We're not going to just have silence and stare into our eyes over Zoom for 60 seconds. But that's supposed to get you into, you know, like people use that to fall in love. It's like a whole psychological thing. And then you stare at each other and you ask questions. So they use it for like all these different sets of people, people having trouble in their relationship, people who are like, estranged or just people there's happy stuff too but it's just meant to make people cry basically (laughs) which I only found out after I ordered these um and they have different editions they have like relationship edition they have a relationship long-term edition because I guess that's a whole different set of questions you have to ask each other they have a family one and they have a friends edition okay so I'm really nervous about this and I'm sorry if this gets weird or awkward um, especially after this like emotional um time we're having. You know, I already I already starved to death. I'm I'm hard. I know we're learning that you're like a, yeah, you've starved <laughs> to death. Um so basically each person draws a card and both people have to answer it. But like I draw it and ask you, and then you ask me back. And since we don't want it to take forever, I'll just draw one card. Since okay. you cannot draw a card, I can't. Um because you're not physically in space with me. I'm going to draw one at random and we'll both answer it. Okay. Um, oh no. That's exactly what you said when you drew my tarot card too. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to choose a different card. Even if it's not a happy card. There are some really happy ones. Um, none of these are happy. Well, maybe if we answer this fast enough, we'll, we can, let's I, get, let's, I can draw. 
Let's blow through this. Like some of them are like, when were you proudest of me? And I think that'd be very easy to answer maybe. Or there's just so many proud moments. But no, that's not the card we chose. And in fact, they have symbols on them. And this one has a teary eye. Oh, great. Because great. it's a sad question. They know what they're doing, manipulators. <sighs> I don't want the answer for this. I don't want to ask you this, Michelle. <sighs> I don't want to hear the answer to this. Okay. When was the last time? And these are four friends. I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. I don't want to ask you, my friend, this. Your eyes right now are like, well, then don't. I'm so confused. Then don't ask me. <laughs> Why are we forcing ourselves to do this? Okay. When was the last time I disappointed you? And how do you feel about it now? When you dropped the key in the grate, <gasps> obviously. And obviously. We, did we escape still? No, that one. No, so I feel like you still you feel know, salty about it. We lost, and um, it probably wasn't even your fault because I think we made quite a few mistakes during that escape room. So I don't feel much about it. But that is okay. one of the very I few really times did disappoint you. You yeah. ever disappointed me? <laughs> so, and I did, and I deserved did. that disappointment. And you knew, this is not a surprise. I didn't. I don't keep it inside. I let you know at the <gasps> moment. I said, Catherine, <laughs> you used as is noted. You use your mom voice. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I know that one. I know that. Good. Phew. Okay. All right. When when was the last time you were disappointed in me? (sighs) Um, when you used your mom voice. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, it's not that big a a deal. deal. This is not something to be upset about. I was stressed out that day. Do you remember? Because we kept having to like. Uh, oh, that was. No, the no, last. That was the other one. I was stressed. Like That was the other one. I was going to change my answer. But then I'm like, no, it actually was one of the first. One of the only. Um, you're like one of the smartest, strongest, bestest people I know. And this was like, but our brains work in very similar ways. And we both have issues with anxiety. But I don't think I've ever. There are times you'll recount a story to me and you're like, this happened and I was anxious, but like usually you've processed it really well already. Um, but I think the only time, and this is not me being disappointed in you, you just, you just at all. You saw that anxiety but I saw in it, the flesh and, as it was happening. And, I, and so I just want to iterate here. I was not disappointed by that, <laughs> by your humanity. <laughs> it's when I saw that you weren't infallible and boy, did that let me down. It was like, man, there goes all my plans. <laughs> Wait, you're not? Like, I thought you were an alien, like Clark Kent sent here to be a superhero in my life. Um, And I guess not. No, it was when we were doing the boulder. That was the stressful day when we were in boulder doing the running around. um, It it was that bill. I think it was, I literally think it was I like that you know exactly what I mean. It was the way that the ceiling looked in that building. It was like. It was stressing me out. And then we literally had to look at the ceiling because one of the clues yeah. was about the ceiling. And it got to the point that when we, it, it, it kept bringing us back there and like the doors, I would see the doors and I would have like a fight or, flight or fight response. Cause I'm like, I don't want to go back into the ceiling. Like, I, I don't know. And it, it was it, a hot day. It was utterly illogical, but I just was There's really agitated and it was, I was so like, I was just so anxious every time. But when we were away from the building, I was fine. Like the rest it of was it, just that ceiling. It was just that ceiling was really doing me in. If anyone wants to know what this is, 
It was, it was overall, it was a great escape room. It was we wonderful. always talk about escape rooms. It was one that went over the whole, it was outside and went around the whole city of Boulder, the downtown area. Use, like actually use a vending machine. There was a, there was a wrench that you found in the street and got to like unbolt something. It was really fun. Yeah. You were like taking shit apart but in the, the street. But the ceiling. Infrastructure. But we went into the hotel, <laughs> the Hotel Boulderado, which is for all intents and purposes, a lovely historic hotel but something about the ceiling just freaked michelle out out. and it's the only time in our adult in our adult lives in our adult lives where we got like you're cool and you were just like you're like get away from me you were just like get no and you're like why can't you do this why can't we do this (laughs) just do it faster so i was not disappointed not disappointed but like whoa michelle I was like, whoa, I have to step up. I think a lot of times when we're together, I'm kind of like, bloop, bloop. <laughs> I can be a step behind. <laughs> I was like, okay, pull it together, Catherine. Step you up. You lost Michelle. You got to pull her along. Oh, God. Felt a little like, yeah, if your mom has like a <laughs> migraine and you're like, oh, no, I don't know how to drive. <laughs> we did finish that one. Just, just like. We did. Oh, Catherine, my gosh. Catherine it was magical. Wonderfully. <laughs> We may or may not have given um, a ne'er-do-well a psychic break, but that's a story for another day. Okay. So this is a more fun question. Okay. I threw a second one. This is the question that you this were asking my, my me. Draw across What's the, the most, this is impossible to answer about you, Michelle. Oh gosh. It's absolutely impossible to answer about you. Um, what's the most unique thing about me? Michelle asks. I asked Catherine, what's the most unique thing about me? Uh, I mean, until the Hotel Balderado incident, I would say that you're clearly an alien center. <laughs> um, oh, there's so much unique stuff about you. Okay, there's a lot of things I love about you, and that's not the question. This is not like what I love or like right. most about you. Most unique. What I think is truly unique about you if we're talking about like what's unique in you that other people don't have is your ability to be open to talking to people who don't agree with you and being patient with them and like understanding their point of view and just being willing to do that patiently again and again and again. Aw, thank you. That's something I try, I strive for. So I, it makes me feel good. And, and not, not, giving up on the world <laughs> after doing that again and again and again it's been a, it's been a rough year for <laughs> what's unique about me um the, i think the thing that is most unique about you is your seamless ability to bring together the highbrow and the lowbrow ah! it's just fantastic and I very very hi <laughs> thanks for seeing me michelle i feel really seen Okay, thanks. Thanks, the skin deep cards. <laughs> They're nice. You, you deserve your Emmy. Emmy award winning cards. Okay. <laughs> so that's our pop culture. I think that's pop culture. Anything that wins an Emmy is yeah, pop culture. It has to be, by definition, I think. Yes. <laughs> okay. That brings us to the final section we wrap things up um 
Research. Research. So my research thing is the concept of transactive memory. And so transactive memory, I, I found this while reading. So I, I teach a teen book club and I'm reading Malcolm Gladwell's first book, Tipping Point, um, yes. to teens, which I had read before, but it has been a very long time. It came out in 2000. So it's over two decades old now. And um, this is this is the book that put Gladwell like on the map, right? So um, I'm more familiar with Outliers, which I've used to teach a composition class, which is like making people reconsider success and Gladwell's whole style, which he gets a lot of criticism for, is that he kind of goes and picks these little tidbits of stories and examples, and that he kind of actually kind of does what we do in this podcast in jest, <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> it's like, here's a bunch of stuff, let me connect the dots, right? I think he probably curates his stuff a little more carefully than our random selection but I mean really that's kind so he's criticized a lot for being superficial um and for trying to force narratives that aren't there but then like the defense of him is like we're story making creatures and data doesn't do anything if you don't put it into a narrative like it's not going to actually impact the world and so uh, it kind of falls into this debate between like the hard sciences and the social sciences that as a humanities person I just have no interest in so um, <laughs> <laughs> I know where my bread's buttered right yeah or not as the or not I, <laughs> I don't get any butter so you all fight it out <laughs> I think that's more apt <laughs> But anyway, all that to say that uh, tipping point is him doing that to uh, what makes an idea spread, right? So the whole concept of the book is that ideas can be epidemics just like an illness can be, right? People spread ideas. And that at some point there is a tipping point in an idea where it goes from being like a few people have it to like everybody has it. So like This book's from 2000? Yeah. So did he, this was before memes. Yes. Whoa, because that's like the idea of memes is their genes of ideas. That's what this is. Malcolm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, there's a lot to like in this book. Uh, And Malcolm Gladwell faces a lot of criticism. Um, One of the biggest criticisms about him is you just told us stuff we already knew, which I think actually is one of the most useful things that a writer can do is give you something that you kind of already knew, but give it to you in a way where you have to actually like confront it and do something with it. And so I actually don't find that to be a criticism. Like I think they let you know, you know it. Yeah, exactly. So all of that to get to this point where um, near the end of this book, he starts talking about transactive memory. I'm trying to see if I can find the exact passage, but if not, I'll just summarize it. Um, So a lot of this is about how ideas are spread between people, and there's a really fascinating section about how Sesame Street was um, very specifically engineered to be sticky so that kids would pay attention to it. Like, it's it's so fascinating. And then how Blue's Clues took, like, the Sesame Street recipe for stickiness and, like, took it to 11, right? Because, like, Sesame Street was trying to appeal to kids and adults, but Blue's Clues was like, we don't care about adults. And they ran the same episode five days in a row. So, like, the the same episode of Blue's Clues would run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And they're, like, people were like, you're insane. Why would we ever do that? And kids will love it. And they were 100% right. Um, So, anyway... Transactive memory, though, was first thought up in 1985 by, let me make sure I get this right, 
a person named Daniel Wegner, and it was a response to theories like groupthink. And the idea here is trying to figure out how we, because we make different decisions in groups than we do when we are alone. So like if you take a person and you have them make a decision by themselves, and then you have them make a decision with a group of people, they change their decision. Um, and so it was like, how are we using those social interactions and what it, what's the mental process of that? And so the idea of transactive memory is that when people are in a relationship, and this could be a friendship, this could be like colleagues in a workplace, uh, they looked at it a lot between married couples, is that they kind of create their own encoding, storage, and retrieval processes so that they can maximize their collective memory to store information in the most effective way. So like couples will just kind of know, oh, my husband will remember that detail. And then the husband will be like, oh, my wife will remember that detail so that they focus on the details that are important for them to remember because they have sort of an unspoken agreement about which details matter to which person. And together they will be able to store more memories than they would if they were separate. Ah. And and this happens in like workplaces. Um, a lot of it is about like knowing that like this person will know that thing so that instead of you needing to know the thing, you just need to know how to contact the person, right? So like, yeah. You know, Tammy will know how to fix the copy machine. So I don't know how to fix the copy machine. I just need to know Tammy. And so like, um, but I was interested and I, I have not gotten to research this far enough to see. So I'm, I'm basically just throwing out some like this. Getting into the moment, folks. Pew, pew. Su suggestions for further research, everybody. Um, I would really like to see the interaction between transactive memory and gender bias and like, the yeah. assumptions about whose job it is to remember which details. Because I live in a very egalitarian household where my husband and I have been very intentional about sharing duties. Like he does all the laundry and I, you know, like <laughs> I was outside mowing the lawn and this guy came by, he's like, why isn't your man doing that? And I'm like, what? like, what? Cause you don't do it with a penis. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you don't even, that's not what pushes. <laughs> like, sir, you're doing this wrong. This, this is not safe. <laughs> um, but anyway, but like, you know, there's all these just coded things and like, we have very intentionally deconstructed as many of them as we can and are doing things based on our skills and interests. And of course there's things left over that are in nobody's skills or interests. Like neither one of us are particularly interested in scraping the dishes or doing the laundry. Right. <laughs> um, so then you just got to divvy those up, but I still find us falling into some patterns where like, it's my job to remember like when the kids need new clothes for the season or like, we ran into this huge thing where um, we homeschool now, but back when our kids, when my daughter was in a public institution, whenever they needed to contact us about anything, I, we had put my husband's number on the contact sheet as the primary contact. And they called me every single time. And I would literally tell them like, you need to call my husband. And then I would like hang up the phone and then, you know, they would go about their day and two hours later, I guess it was still on their list to make this call. And they would call me again. And I'm like, I am not the person on the contact form. Like, I, I don't know how to make you understand this. Man. No, that's really what kind of feedback loop is that causing then? Yeah. With gender. 
And so I just wonder, like, because I think transactive memory as a concept is that because I really love the idea that we are better together than we are as individuals in in a general sense. And so this feels like, you know, with science, you know, like there's a term, but of um, course, then yeah. But then you have to just, it, it kind of goes back to, we had that episode where like, we have all this data and we will always use it to find a way to cheat the system. Yep. And I just like, so I'm looking at this transactive memory and I'm like, oh, this is such a cool idea. But do we just make assumptions about who is responsible for remembering what information? And then eventually, if you're the you one, yeah, them. yeah. If Tammy you're the one just- called upon, Tammy's desk is just near the copier. Right, right. She doesn't know about it. Tammy was not like, oh man, I really, my calling in life is to be the copy hero. Like, you know, I so I just, um, I, I just wonder how our biases are at play there and what kind of work it would take to maybe make transactive memory a tool that helps us break those down. Yeah, that's a really good question. You should go research that, listeners. That's a yes. good teaching skill. When anyone asks me a question, I don't know. I'm like, good question. You should go research that. Please let me know what you find. You know your findings. We have, we have some really smart listeners. I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful for some cool Everyone. It makes me think of like um, post-humanism and transhumanism where we talk about being a cyborg because we have our phone and that does, that does change our memories. Yes. Because and we I- hand so much over to our phone but that's just, that sounds like that's transactive memory, right? Because no, so of, when I looked up, me. when I looked up transactive memory, which again was first coined in 1985, when I looked it up to do some research for this, that was one of the first things that, that uh, came up was this concept of, um, let, let me see what term they use. We used to all know phone numbers and now we don't because. Yeah. Cognitive offloading and digital amnesia. And, ah. and they, they say that like, you can't even fight against it because your brain is such an efficient machine that it's going to say like, I don't care how many times you tell me you need to know that phone number, your actions show me that we don't, and I'm not going to waste energy on it. Right. Like we oh. don't need it. <laughs> oh, that makes me scared. <laughs> Cause that happens. There are things with like deadlines where no matter what I put on my to-do list or my calendar, I won't start working on it until something inside is like, nope, this is how long it takes. This is how long this will take. You can't trick me. So I do that with my, uh, <laughs> cause I have anxiety about punctuality uh, and ceilings. Um, no, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I try to hijack my brain by setting my clock in my car ahead. So, but, but like, and I know people do that to like, they'll set it to trick themselves into thinking they need to get there sooner, but that's not what I'm doing. Like, I know that it's ahead, but then I'll see it and panic. And then I'll tell myself, but remember that clock is fast. So it's okay. So like, but, (laughs) but I've had to keep doing it more and more. Like, don't worry, that clock's three hours ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So the people get in my car and they're like, what's going on here? You're already in 2022. (laughs) Don't worry. It's, it's fine. You're, <laughs> you're fine. You're living it up. All right. So oh. yes, your research thing. Okay. My research thing begins. <laughs> you, hear, you hear the box shaking? There is there is another pack of cards, everybody. Another a third <laughs> pack of cards. <laughs> this beautiful pack of cards. It's an Uno game. Oh, okay. Is it? I'm gonna 
It is not the typical Uno game. Not the typical Uno game. I'm going to show it to Michelle. Oh, it's got polka I'll dots. Links has like beautiful green eyeballs. Um, I'm just going to make rattling noises. Showing, showing, showing. Showing Michelle the, the deck, the cards. Ooh, Ooh. I'm covering them Uno. up with my hands. I can't throw it over my camera. This is awkward. Fancy cards. This, it is an Uno deck. I'm showing Michelle. Um, very cool. This is a special Uno deck with a new card. Uno has just released this deck. Um, and it has a special, I'm not going to be able to find it now, but oh well. As a new card, if you play Uno, if you know Uno, I'm not going to explain the rules to Uno, um, except I will say it's a double pack. It's a really big pack. It did um, look very large. Very large. As someone with a four-year-old who's obsessed with numbers, I play a lot of Uno. Play a lot of Uno, cool cards. Um, I can't find the special card. Um, it does have enough. Shout out to my Uncle Richard, who invented, maybe, I think he invented it. I'm going to credit him with inventing Uno Plus which is you get two packs of Uno. We used to play that at, at the beach house. I remember yep. and it would last all night long. Like we would literally just be up all the entire night until the sun came up playing the same game. Oh yeah. Uno Plus. Oh yeah. We once tried to like play Uno without shuffling it and that lasted a long time. You know, those heady days when you're a kid and like time having too much sugar keeps yeah. you up all night. Woo. Um, yeah. Uno Plus is you like combine two cards and like, then you have like lemon lime is green and yellow. Christmas is red and green. And then you add up the numbers of those cards. It's very fun. Um, I like Uno a lot. So when I saw the special deck came out, Uno has an artist series, which I did not know, where they work with artists living and dead. So I guess sometimes with their estates. They work with dead? Okay. Their estates, I guess. Um, not, to produce, se not seances in the Uno headquarters. May I mean I don't know Uno's. I don't know Mattel's secrets. Their artist series by an artist named Nina Chanel Abney, who's one of my favorite artists of all time. So I was super, super, super stoked to learn she had an Uno card game, and I bought it immediately. Um, oh, the card. Sorry, <laughs> the extra card is a no card. And it just says no. And so if you play any like draw four card or wild draw four or draw like two. Like in Exploding Kittens. You can say no. Explo and then the other. Exploding Kittens has a nope card that lets you nope. cancel out. Yeah. Yeah. So it cancels out, but then they have to draw four or Ooh. they have to draw two. Like reap what you sow. It's a, you know, whatever. What, I am rubber and you are glue. Yeah. It's kind of a good lesson, I think. But yeah. be careful. Well, you, you dish out. Yeah, so <laughs> anyway, sure you can take it. It's a fun set, but so my research, I'm sticking with my theme, which has now been revealed. Just cards. I'll show you my decks and decks. Just three cards. Boom, boom, boom. Art history tarot, crying cards. National Abney. But um, so my research is then about the artist National Abney, who I love. She's one of my favorite artists. She does um primarily really, really large scale murals. And she works with spray paint. And I have loved her work for a long time. When I was adjuncting at UNC, she came there, the art history class I was teaching, which was so freaking exciting. I was totally starstruck. And she came and she talked to my class. Um, I got to go out to lunch with her. She said she liked my jacket. 
oh, I was over the moon. Um, she's so nice. And I was completely starstruck the whole time. And so I decided, so I followed her career and I love it, but I decided to do a little research into her. And so um, I want to tell you about Nina Chanel Army really quick. She's from Chicago, Illinois. Before she decided to go to grad school and get her MFA, she was working um, in a Ford and Toyota car factory. And so she did a lot of like big industrial painting work. So she got um, accomplished at that. But then there was a freak accident where one of her coworkers had their leg crushed and torn off. And she's like, well, it's now or never. So she applied to Parsons and she got her MFA at Parsons. And so when you're getting your master of fine arts, you have a thesis show. When after the two years, your second year, you have a big show. And especially if it's like a big brand name school like Parsons, collectors will come. And that's kind of make or break in your career where are you going to have hot? Are you going to be hot or not? Are they going to buy you or not? And so she put all of the effort into one painting, just one painting. And that um, in 2007, it was called Class of 2007. And she got a lot of acclaim and notoriety for that one painting that kind of start kickstarted her career. And um, she was the only black student in her graduating class. And so for that painting, which was called class of 2007, she did portraits of all of her classmates, but she painted them as black prisoners in prison. And she painted herself as a white prison guard. And that's the painting. And so People really liked it. Some people hated it. Some people got mad. She said that the main response from her fellow students were, are you mad at me? What did I do wrong? And she was like, nothing. This is just what I wanted to paint. Um, so I did some research into that painting and she talked about how she was inspired by, um, this made me very excited because I had a great lunch with her and she's like, what are you teaching your students? before she came to talk to them. I'm like, we're learning about Adrian Piper's calling card. And she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, I'm teaching them Kant through Adrian Piper. She's like, okay, that's cool. She approved. And I learned in this interview that her two, that class of 2007 painting was inspired by Adrian Piper's calling card. And for those of you don't know, who don't know, Adrian Piper is mainly a performance artist who worked throughout the 70s and 80s. She's still alive though, and she still is making great work. But she had this series called Calling Card. She approached it about racism, that you have to speak power to power, like power speaks to power. You have to use the language of power. If she's not reasonable and rational, according to like a Western enlightenment ideal, she'll never convince people who are racist not to be racist. So that's what she thinks. She's very Kantian. Um, and so the way she decided to do this, especially as a black woman, so she made a card that said like, hello friend, um, I'm sure you didn't mean to be racist when you said that racist thing. And I want you to know I'm black and I hope this doesn't inconvenience you, but like, don't be racist. That's not what it says. It's much more eloquent and much more like well put than what I just said. But um, so she would just hand it to people. And that's what calling card is. And Nina Chanel Abney said she loved how passive aggressive it was. And she wanted that sort of passive aggressive energy. So that's what the class of 2007 was about. I'm going to go into her whole life story. Although there's a wild story. She paints 
everything she paints is amazing. She has such a unique style that's like totally hers. But um, there was an interesting story in her biography where her mom got remarried pretty early on in her life. She had a stepsister. She never knew her biological father. And one day her mom's driving home from work. They get pulled over by the police. The police sticks his head in their window and she recognizes her face in the policeman's face. And it's her biological father. And then never sees him again. Was it confirmed or was she just suspected? Yeah, her mom, her mom confirmed that was him. That's your dad. Done. So anyway, it's really interesting. And if you look at her works that involve police, I mean, that like already they made sense, but like you can like, that's a Lynchian weird thing, but that's in there too. Anyway, I encourage you to go look at her work and just know they're very large scale. She does a lot of murals. And then the other, I've just been delighted that she is doing a lot of things like designing skateboards as well. She has a great fine arts career. Um, And then she just did a work of augmented reality in August, I think, yeah, August. It was for the anniversary of the March on Washington. And you can get it, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can do it on a smaller scale on your phone still through the Acute Art app. But she's been doing a lot of that kind of stuff and fine art things. And she is in like major museums, collected by museums, but then designed skateboards and made like an, you know, plastic action figure and Uno cards and really cool t-shirts. But she's getting so much hate and criticism for doing these more like quote unquote commercial ventures. Like, oh no, I'm getting hate for it. And people would be like, you had such a promising fine art career and you're blowing it. How dare you blow it by making a living that would allow you to sustain yourself so you can continue making art. I know. And it's just something like her mom was an artist too. And she said she grew up like making art with her mom and drawing Mickey Mouse. And so like making an action figure really meant something to her. Like that was important to her. And that, that how was many more it. people are going to see your work if it's on Uno cards? Like, just as far as right, the it, other artists in this series are Andy Warhol and Basquiat. So everyone, shut the shut the f up. Like the other artists in the series are huge artists, but they're dead. So, like, she's just doing this before she dies. Let her enjoy that. Why not get that before it just goes to your estate right. that people are fighting over? Anyway, that's a side argument. My research is Nina Chanel Abney. As an artist, I want to introduce everyone to if you didn't already know her. Um, she's also just like, she's just a huge artist who took the time to come and talk to my class. And she said, it's amazing. So I cannot say enough amazing things about her and her art and her as a person. Um, and everyone just like back off because it's nice to be able to hold those cards in your hand or like play Uno, like- and you know, like I, I get pushed up against this as somebody who is now doing something that I used to do. I mean, always for pay, right? Like I was, a, I was a teacher in a public institution, and now I am selling classes independently. Um, and and it is, it's like a weird spot to be that where you have to like actually like place your wares into the marketplace, and so you get all these criticisms. But it's like, look. I didn't design this capitalist system. I am just living in it and I'm trying to do the best that I can. And and you can't win, you can't win that game, right? So like, yeah, she should be able to sell her work to 
Mattel or whoever makes Uno and actually have a sustained lifestyle that allows her to share her work further and continue to produce work. Because like you said, she was working in a factory where someone got their leg ripped off. Like, I don't. That's not even right. The, 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 the career path isn't a living. Right. You're supposed to be suffering in order to. And she can have both. I, I don't see any, I don't see this hurting the other thing. This is something we've talked about before, which is like, the future they're talking about is gone. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't exist. And she, I think, sees that before other people. And she, I, she can have it both ways. Anyway, Soapbox 2021. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Okay, so you ready? We have for weird things. Um, what else could I do? And it's myriad of meanings. The tarot card of past, the art history tarot for past lives. Yes. And Michelle starving to death in Germany Um, in the 19th century, 20th century. Uh, Zoe's extraordinary playlist and the fact that the person who wrote it was basing it in some real experiences and real trauma uh the skin deep the emmy winning card game for friends to learn more about each other yeah transactive memory which is how we divide up our memories when we are in groups and artist uno especially featuring nina chanel abney yeah my yeah my running theme was cards cards in my house that is all but it worked out (laughs) it did it was really fun um Okay. Well, I think with transactive memory right off the bat, the friends card question are asking us to draw on our collective memories of our whole relationship. And and the memory of your past. How do you think transactive memory works across past lives, Michelle? I, yeah. Obviously, somebody in my past life is holding on to some of the things that I need to access because I feel like a frazzled mess 90% of the time right now. Um, so they, yeah. need to, they need to pass that back up. Tammy, tell me how to fix this copier. Tammy, we're not starting anymore. Uh, so I think, I'm thinking there's maybe a connection in that, the memory and the relationships, the friendships, relationships, because, um, you know, we talked about representative Andy Kim and his relationship to the um to Congress to, to the Capitol yeah. and um to his constituents through that role they go because I was researching him speaking of his relationship to work and Nina Chanel Abney's right her relationship to work I think is going to come up to connect it his relationship to his constituents they um there was an interview with him I was reading today I like that we're both in the Andy Kim train choo-choo um and he said that he was, he, the forever reason when everyone was evacuated, like through the tunnels underground, he ended up being in his office, that he was close enough to where his office. And he had, um, I think maybe one staff member, because he had told his staff members, stay home. 
they thought something would happen on public transport. They thought there would be issues getting into the building. He said, I never imagined there would be something in the building. But he basically, most of his staff was gone and staying home that day. But he stayed in his office and called constituents about concerns they had. Aww. And they, they, he said they were shocked. Like, why are you calling us? What's happening? He's like, well, I said I would do it. I said I'd get this work done today. And what else am I going to do? What else am I going to do? Wow. I need to embroider that, like cross-stitch yeah. that. What else could I do? What else am I going to do? Look at me already procrastinating from my real work with talks of cross-stitching. Well, and then my other, like, because that, the Andy Kim thing was half of my weird thing. And the other one was my my husband always protecting me from this. So that relationship within you. the weird confines of that that game, like the, the kind of artifice of like, you know, because we literally take on characters in that game that have relationships built in. And so I think that the... I think, I think it's something about like responsibilities and relationships because Zoe's Infinite Playlist was about the author's responsibility to kind of memorialize that relationship with his father, right? And um, yeah, and, and um, the pain of losing his father and making sure to keep that, mem- that memory alive, um, which then you could tie it into the past lives, right? Like, is that a responsibility? Do you like if you believe that there are past lives, is there some right. relationship between those? Do you have and- a responsibility right. or is that right. something you can cut out? And then, yeah, the responsibility. I felt responsibility when you were freaking out for like the first time, <laughs> like I have to step in, I can do this. And the responsibility, I think that I really liked where we ended with the responsibility of you for to your job and to others in that job. And to yourself, like to yourself to be like whatever criticisms you have of a capitalist system, if you live within one, you have responsibilities to look out for yourself and your ability to continue well, you know, like you, you, you can't pretend like those responsibilities vanish just because. It was really good to hear you say that. I think that's something that in in some ways is overstated and in some groups is a dirty thing to say which yeah. is you have a responsibility to take care of yourself and not in the like you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps oh, way yeah. which is the way that it gets it gets turned into but in like the like you have the right to take care <gasps> of yourself right like the right to not a responsibility you ha- you are allowed to because when you do and i i don't want to it's not this easy, right? This is what I was about to say is also super neoliberal. Like if you take care of yourself, you'll be okay. That's in your that's, own garden. Yeah. No, no, no because Which some people, obviously, right? All these other things that we're talking about, right? Like, I mean, the transactive memory is about how you can't just tend your own garden because you don't have all the pieces in your garden, right? Some of the things are stored in someone else's garden. So you have to, you have to share responsibility. You have to connect across different relationships and it's not just you you are not an island right but you also and your patch of your garden to the best of your ability and you will learn that it is a giant garden that everyone it's a it's a shared what are those called gardens a community garden community garden right and and i mean like so just as it is not shameful to help someone else tend their garden, it is also not shameful to tend your own, right? Like, I think that it, we, it gets with one camp of people acting like 
you can only tend your own garden and the There's other our fortune cookie. Yeah. It is not shameful <laughs> to tend your garden or the garden of others. Which I mean, and that really makes me think of the crow story that you told, right? Like Yes. Even if, yeah, even if the it doesn't have to be like now I'm doing self-care. Now I'm going and taking care of this person. It can be a crow. It can right. Like you can recognize your responsibilities to the world in um, so many tiny ways that maybe no one else would even notice, right? That, that no one else would even know that you had done that work. But that doesn't mean that, <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that doing the work is pointless or that you should be, I don't know. I don't like, know how to get the audio button. One second. <laughs> You're tending to a different garden. I'm tending to another garden. <laughs> Here, here are your audiobooks. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, all right. So to step back for a second, because I'm sure we're gonna have to edit that. So I think that it's really important to say that you don't have this constant responsibility to utility, right? Like it doesn't have to constantly be tapped into um, you know, is this making money? Is this making, you know, like so much we talked about in a previous episode how so much of like a nation's worth is tied to like the stock market which isn't even a measure that matters to a majority of the people who are in it right so like that kind of capitalist are you building capital notion of success right but at the same time it doesn't do anybody any good to ignore the fact that that is how most measures of success yes are achieved especially if you want to continue to survive to go take care of the crows exactly it's okay to take care of yourself but you can't just take care of yourself right it's okay to take care of yourself it's great to take care of yourself it's necessary to take care of yourself but it's not sufficient it's not the end necessary but not sufficient that is you're not you are not yourself does that make sense you don't stop at yourself you don't stop at yourself yeah that's very, ooh, hippie, dippie. <laughs> Let's go. Every time I hear someone um, who's taken, read about someone who's taken like mushrooms and they're like, I realize there's no boundaries between right. me and the world. And I'm like, what is that? But See, you don't even need to take mushrooms when you have me and Catherine. Us. We'll just You're take welcome. You, we'll take you there drug-free. Drug-free experience. <laughs> On that note, if you, nope. On that note, that's it. Drug-free experience. We get you there without the drugs. We get you high on life. (laughs) Bye. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.